Welcome, welcome to Not a Hoax, Not a Dream, the podcast about comic book characters who just don't quit. You can try to write them off, but they'll just get written back in. I'm your host, Ben Rathbone, and I'm pretty sure I'm the unwilling minion of a supervillain made out of pure sound. I don't know how we got here, but it's still letting me record this podcast, so gotta count my blessings where I can, you know? Hopefully this will all be cleared up in about the length of a feature story in a comic book series annual, but we'll have to see. For now, let's get into our character, Echo. She's recently appeared on the Hawkeye show, and I think getting her own show soon, too. I've seen her pop up in different comics that I've read, but I didn't know a ton about the character, so decided to do an episode so I could learn more. I'm glad I did, because she's pretty cool. My only dilemma here was whether to do a gag where I say her name and it echoes. I decided not to, but just know that I thought about it. It's strangely important to me. So, without further preamble, let's do the thing. Actually, one more quick thing before the thing. I realize my voice sounds pretty raw in some parts of this. Not sure what that was. I felt fine. I mean, I guess it was probably the whole being enslaved by that pure sound guy thing. But anyway... It's worse in some places than others, but since I noticed it, I thought I should throw in this warning. So, with that... What's your name, kid? The Human Spider. The Human Spider, that's it? That's the best you got? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. The son of three thousand dollars will be paid to the terrifying, the deadly, the amazing Spider-Man! The year is 2000, and Daredevil is back, baby. The character's sales slumped in the 90s as he got further and further away from the scratchy crime noir aesthetic he thrived in in the 80s. But in 2000, the new Daredevil look is defined by the vibrant, almost abstract art of Joe Quesada, who brought the character back to prominence with the help of writer Kevin Smith. In that run, Spider-Man villain Mysterio dies. So, don't worry, that'll be an episode at some point too. For now, Smith is off the run, presumably to finish up Dogma, or maybe Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, I I don't know. I'm here to research comics, not Kevin Smith movies. Just if it was Jersey Girl, he should have written a few more issues instead. The writer now is celebrated artist David Mack. Mack teams up with Quesada to create a new signature antagonist and new signature love interest for the hero. You know how Daredevil is blind, but the rest of his senses are enhanced to supernatural proportions? Good chance you do, because that's his deal. Well, what if there is a character who couldn't hear, but her sight was enhanced to the point where she could analyze and perfectly copy any human movement she sees? Okay, I I guess it'd be more that her brain is enhanced, not her eyes. But the point is, they're going for a foil of Daredevil, and I think it mostly works. Now add to that concept a tragic backstory and a connection to Dee Dee's big bad, and boom, you've got Maya Lopez, Echo. Maya is a Native American of the Cheyenne Nation, a distinguished concert pianist, a stage performance artist, and a professional-level boxer. Her wealthy benefactor is Wilson Fisk, who we the readers know as the New York kingpin of crime, but who Maya knows only as the benevolent owner of a successful spice company, and good friend of her late father. Fisk claims to have promised to take care of Maya before her father was murdered, which is, on paper, true. He just leaves out the part where he was the one that murdered him. The real lie comes in when Wilson reveals the identity of the murderer as Daredevil. He also asks his ward for a favor, to talk to lawyer Matt Murdock on his behalf. Knowing that Murdock and Daredevil are one and the same, the Kingpin's plan is to thwart his nemesis by conflicted interests, counting on the two hitting it off in their civilian identities, but battling it out in costume when Echo seeks her revenge. Does the villain's plan work? 
Let's take a look in Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, Volume 2, Number 11. Story, David Mack. Art, Joe Casada. Inks, Jimmy Palmiotti. Colors, Richard Eisenhoff. Letters, Richard Starkings and Comicraft. Maya Lopez is holed up at home, lifting free weights as she watches footage of Daredevil fighting his deadly foe Bullseye. A bloody handprint is smattered on the screen, a mirror of the handprint her father left on her face as he died in front of her in an ambulance all those years ago. VHS tapes and books are scattered about, the titles of which include The Best of Jet Li, Jackie Chan Tape 1, Bruce Lee Volume 4, Combat in the Modern Superhero, and Tao of Jeet Kune Do. A photo of her father sits on a table with a distinctive yellow gold handgun in front of it. The gun was his, but was also the gun used to kill him. Newspaper clippings of Daredevil hang all over. Maya chews on a ballpoint pen as she works out. When she sees Bullseye throw a mundane object with deadly force, Maya mimics the gesture perfectly, sending the pen flying through the forehead of one of the Daredevils on the wall. Sometime later, Maya is in a coffee shop in Hell's Kitchen with Matt Murdock, there to explain her perspective on Wilson Fisk, so the lawyer will back off on the man in any legal proceedings. The conversation soon moves off business, however, as Maya wants to hear about Matt's dad, the famous boxer, Batlin' Jack Murdock. The two click, and Matt finds Maya to be the most charming girl he's ever met. The feelings are reciprocated by Maya. It's hard to imagine. I can laugh so hard, so free, she says, when just hours ago I was assimilating fight scenes from videotapes. The coffee date turns into lunch, which turns into a walk in the park, which turns into dinner, which turns into a movie. There, Maya describes the Matt to action on screen that he can't see, and Matt describes to Maya the dialogue when she can't clearly read their lips. While romantic, this theater chatting gets them a bucket of popcorn hurled at their heads. The two leave the theater laughing, eating popcorn from each other's hair, and sharing their first kiss. They end the day at a jazz club, sharing a table across glasses of wine. They part ways, agreeing to see each other again. Back at her apartment, Maya ruminates on the day. Today I met a blind man who opened my eyes. I met someone I could feel like a speaker against my chest. Someone that made me realize that the answers aren't everything. I should enjoy the questions. Someone that makes adulthood seem fun. But first, I must close the book on childhood. The would-be lovers meet again sooner than either would have thought, though only one will realize it immediately. Later that night, as Daredevil prowls the city rooftops, he's struck on the head by a blunt object fashioned after his own billy club. His attacker is Echo. She stands in front of him, a woman in black jeans, an exercise top, and hand wrappings strapped tight to her arms. A white handprint lays across her face, and a familiar golden gun is taped to her chest. Daredevil recognizes her as Maya immediately, through her heart pattern and scent, but before he can act on this knowledge, he has to dodge a flurry of shurikens. He tries to get close so she can read his lips, but Echo hurls him into a wall with a deft kick. She keeps the pressure on, pummeling him with dual billy clubs. In close combat, Daredevil finds himself completely on the defensive and dives off the rooftop to escape. In all of the movement, he still hasn't been able to communicate to her. Daredevil sticks the landing with an acrobatic flourish and Echo is right behind him, perfectly copying the move. The two are now on a child's playground. Daredevil manages to land the hit with one of his thrown clubs, dropping his assailant near a seesaw, but when he closes the distance to check on her, Echo lays into him, slapping him in the head with each side of the seesaw and laying him out with a mean left hook. 
As her opponent reels on the ground, Echo unstraps the gun, cocks it, and places it against Daredevil's head. At least she doesn't smoke, Matt thinks. I couldn't stand it if she smoked. This comic is pretty great. The whole storyline rules, really. I enjoy how it unfolds and ultimately concludes. This and the Smith storyline before it kick off a really cool era of Daredevil comics that are defined by the character's thoughts and feelings taking form in wild imagery that pops off the page. Joe Quesada really sells the idea of two people that just met each other falling deeply for one another in the course of a day, and he breathes life into Maya, who in the length of the issue appears both deadly serious and endearingly silly. Jimmy Palmiotti's inks and Richard Eisenhoff's colors fill out a world that is sometimes charming and other times frenzied and hectic. Echo is a cool character. You understand her motivations immediately, and you see her use her signature talent of photographic memory and mimicry in interesting ways, pairing the gift with intense curiosity and creativity. Like when she talks about boxing in an earlier issue, she speaks about mixing and matching fighting styles and adapting them to her frame. In another issue, she performs on stage using using dance movements and shadow puppetry to tell a visual story to her audience. It's cool to see this kind of ability explored and used in different ways. It, it'd be really easy to just focus on the mimicry aspect of it and just show her, you know, see something and then perform the exact same thing. And you, de- you definitely see her do this, but she also combines uh, everything that she absorbs in different ways. She's very creative in her fighting style, and uh, I-, I like that aspect to it a lot. dozen years go by and we're in 2012. I know what you're asking. Wait, wait, what happened to Echo and Daredevil? Did she kill him? No. The man without fear escapes and in a later conflict, the whole misunderstanding between them as far as who killed Maya's dad is cleared up. When Echo finds out the truth, her response is to shoot Fisk twice, one bullet for each eye. It doesn't kill the man, but does blind him. Echo then travels the world to find herself. She hangs out with Wolverine in Japan, returns to her father's home to go on a vision quest, and after a period of time ends back up in New York, where after reconciling with Matt Murdock, she begins a stage career as a performance artist again. Eventually, Maya returns to costume. Under the moniker Ronin, Maya dresses up in all black, grabs some katanas, and heads back to Japan. There, she infiltrates the criminal underground. She's making good progress until she's stabbed by an alien shapeshifter pretending to be one of Daredevil's ex-girlfriends, and then resurrected by a cult of mystical ninja assassins who want to brainwash her. Happens to the best of us. The new Avengers rescue her, and she joins the team for a while, most crucially helping uncover and fight off an invasion of the shapeshifting aliens. Later on, Echo goes undercover again to take on another underground criminal empire, this time in L.A., There, she meets fellow vigilante Moon Knight, who helps her expose Count Nefaria as the secret L.A. kingpin of crime. During the experience, the two heroes catch feelings for each other, and continue to take apart the villain's empire piece by piece. That is, until Nefaria himself confronts the pair head-on in Moon Knight, Volume 6, Number 9. Writer, Ryan Michael Bendez. Artist, Alex Maleev. Color artist, Matt Hollingsworth. Letterer, V.C.'s Corey Petit. The issue begins with a flashback of Mark Spector, Moon Knight, talking to his Q, Buck Lime, about getting him a Captain America shield. 
Why does he want a Captain America shield? Because it's cool. That's why. Buck says, fine, and while he can't procure the vibranium-adamantium alloy required to forge a real shield, he can do the next best thing and give him a zero-point weightless energy shield fashioned after the one Cap uses as a backup. Great, Buck. You rule. No problem. Uh, anything else? Yeah. I want web shooters, like Spider-Man. What the fu- Are you- Fine. Th- that one's easy. Shouldn't be impossible to reverse engineer Spidey's formula. I mean, he leaves the shit all over the place. Anything else? All right, even you are going to think this one's cool. You know Wolverine? What, that crazy mutant Canadian guy? Yeah, wait, you don't... I want his claws! Okay, what is going on here? You want to be Captain America, Spider-Man, and Wolverine all at the same time? Sure, it's going to be great. These voices in your head that you told me about, are these them? Podcast narrator here. They are, in fact, them. Imagined versions of Cap, Spidey, and Wolves are hanging out in his head right now, telling him what to do. Mark Spector is Moon Knight, a former mercenary who fights crime in the name of Egyptian god of the moon, Khonshu. He is also rich, and of questionable sanity, but you probably figured that last part out. Back to the present, Count Nefaria looms over Echo and Moon Knight as he flies ominously through the air. You vex me, Moon Knight. What kind of madman starts a fight he can't possibly win? You're like a puppy picking a fight with a lion. Echo looks over at her partner and says, He has a point. Nefaria launches twin beams of destructive energy from his eyes, which Moon Knight successfully blocks with his energy shield. Captain America's voice rings through Mark's mind. You are overpowered, Spectre. This is Count Nefaria we're talking about. This man has battled the entirety of the Avengers. He's battled Thor to a standstill. Superhuman strength? Speed? Durability? He can kill you with his optic blasts. He can fly. Moon Knight launches his energy shield through the air and lands a solid hit on the Faria's jaw. Cap continues. Not going to listen to me? Then at the very least, get her out of here, Spectre. Moon Knight attempts to do so. As the two run away, Echo says that she told him they were pushing it. Mark pushes Echo into a doorway of a rooftop stairway access and locks the door to her protest. He then continues his own attempted escape correctly assuming the Count will pursue him. The Vigilante barely avoids a direct hit from another optic blast, and finds himself hurtling towards the ground. He saves himself with a string of web he uses to land himself safely. The Count keeps up the pressure, and Moon Knight reflects an optic blast at close quarters, sending them both sprawled on the ground. Moon Knight webs Nefaria's feet to the ground, and is about to run away when Echo appears. She cracks Nefaria across the head with her vibranium-laced staff. The Count lunges at her, but he's stopped by more webbing, with Moon Knight pulling at the other end. Mark drags the villain in front of an incoming car, which crumples against the Count's shins. He picks up the car and hurls it at Spectre, who tumbles out of the way. Echo strikes Nefaria in the head again with her staff, and Moon Knight comes in close with his foul wolverine claws, cutting him across the face. Echo narrowly dodges an optic blast as Mark goes in for the kill, but the Count heaves Moon Knight off his shoulder, sending him reeling into a trash can nearby. Echo dives in for another hit, but this time Count Nefaria's optic blasts strike a clean hit directly through her chest. She hits the ground, unmoving. In the final few panels of the issue, there is an inner debate in Mark's mind on whether he can kill Nefaria. Wolverine wins the debate by murdering the other two imaginary superheroes, and Moon Knight dives in with claws extended, ready to end the villain. 
Let's talk about refrigerators, specifically women in refrigerators. In Green Lantern, Volume 3, Number 54, released in 1994, the titular character Kyle Rayner comes home to find his girlfriend, Alex DeWitt, murdered, her body stuffed in a refrigerator. This event would prompt Gail Simone and a group of other comic book fans to start the website Women in Refrigerators, which listed the swath of female comic book characters who'd been killed, sexually assaulted, or depowered. Simone says in the site's introduction, I realized one day that most of my favorite female comics characters had met untimely and often icky ends. Gail Simone would become a comic book writer herself in the upcoming decade, and the term fridging became popularized as a reference to the story trope, wherein a female character is killed or harmed in order to further a male character's motivation and development. Is it fair to say Bendez fridged Echo here? Uh, Yeah, probably. The thing about Bendez is that he is writing a ton of comics in this era, and when a comic book writer writes as much as him, it's easy to find a bunch of stuff that's good and a bunch of stuff that isn't. And sometimes, like with this series, a bunch of good and bad in one package. I ad-libbed a lot of that conversation between Mark and Buck, but the line, those voices, was all him, and I couldn't find a different way of phrasing it because it's hilarious. But the stuff he does with Echo, not great. Also, the main conceit of the series is shaky and pretty much invalidated by the end when he just calls the Avengers, something he could have done a lot earlier. For a really good Moon Knight story, check out the six-issue volume by Warren Ellis and Declan Chalvi that came out not long after this. Now, Echo does have a lot more agency than other refrigerator characters, and I do like that her actions here track with previous ones. Echo has a history of contending with vast underground criminal networks. Her benefactor since childhood is the New York Kingpin of Crime, and then she goes to Tokyo to take on the Yakuza, the Hand, and Hydra, Now she's up against the West Coast kingpin of crime, and just like in Tokyo, is up against overwhelming odds. The arc itself makes sense, but the fact that her ending primarily serves as a way for the title character to come to his senses is... not the best. Superman, how can you be... Alive? Toy Man sent me to the future. Then Vandal Savage and I fought some giant cockroaches and... It's complicated. After Maya's death, Nefaria escapes the altercation with his life. Moon Knight then makes a phone call to the Avengers, and Thor knocks out the Count with a single punch. It pays to have friends. Would have been nice if he, you know, did that before anyone was killed, but hey, I guess long term it works out as four years later, Echo appears on the cover of a comic book once again in Daredevil Annual, Volume 4, Number 1, featuring the return of Echo. Writer. Charles Soule. Artist, Vanessa R. Del Rey. Color artist, Matt Lopes. Letterer, VCs Clayton Cowles. We're at Hell's Kitchen, Terminal 5, a music venue currently packed in attendance for a concert. Two of the audience are our friend, Maya Lopez, and her friend, Eric. Eric thanks Maya for coming, even though he isn't sure if rock shows are all that interesting to her. Uh, Maya says it's all good. Just because I'm deaf doesn't mean it's not fun. I like seeing the crowd move and I can feel the vibrations from the bass and drums. Enough to dance to, anyway. And if I can dance, I can have a good time. The conversation is cut off as Garland, the band's frontman, enters the stage solo and sits down at a piano. His fingers begin to nimbly strike the keys in a pattern that Maya finds fascinating. She figures he must be good, and she turns around to ask Eric how it sounds. But once her eyes are off the pianist, what she sees is disturbing. 
The rest of the audience has collapsed on the ground, and Eric himself transforms into a strange, wavy blue creature with what looks like a metal megaphone for a hand. More of the concertgoers undergo the same transformation, all pointing their megaphone hands at her in unison. Echo deduces that whatever is happening must be related to sound, since she's the only one not affected. As she runs from the mass of former rock aficionados, the crowd of sound creatures spools out into the streets, replicating the sound that started this and transforming more people into megaphone hands. Echo remembers that she's in Hell's Kitchen, and that means there's someone here with sensitive hearing that she needs to protect. She scoops up a dropped pair of headphones from the ground and heads off to find Daredevil. She finds him just in time, before his enhanced hearing can pick up the viral earworm. Before explaining anything, Maya tackles him, places the headphones on his head, and turns up the volume on a Prince album. Matt protests, but Echo gets him to keep the headphones on until the swarm of music zombies have safely passed. Once it's safe to speak again, Maya explains everything she knows so far. Daredevil recognizes the detail about the speaker cone hand, and knows who is responsible. Once, there was a man named Ulysses Claw. He was human, but now he's a being made of living sound who tries to propagate himself by changing the people around him into versions of himself. Daredevil's story over, they head to the NYC Office of Emergency Management in Cadman Plaza, the home of the city's emergency broadcasting system, but the Claws have beaten them there. Daredevil dons the headphones, hits play on Delirious, and he and Echo fight their way through the horde blocking the building. Once inside, they beeline their way for the technician on call for the day. Daredevil's idea is to send out a frequency to shut down Claw's noise signal, the way noise-canceling headphones take in the frequencies around them and generate the exact opposite. The technician appreciates the creativity and thinks this would work in theory, but he wouldn't know where to start as far as figuring out the frequency Claw is using without actually hearing it and being zombified by it. Luckily, Echo, thanks to her uncanny photographic mimicry abilities, could perfectly duplicate the sound if she had a keyboard. The technician takes her to the full studio on the premises, so he can invert the song through an audio processor and send it out through the EBS system while in a soundproof isolation booth. But they'll have to hurry, because the Claw army has broken into the building, and is headed their way. Daredevil stays behind to hold them off. Echo performs the song, and the EBS employee sends an inverted signal out into the city. It reaches Claw himself, now manifested as a towering version of the Blue Wavy Dudes, but he fights it off with all his strength. Back in the studio, the many people-sized Claws are still outside the door. Echo and friend record and distribute another signal. Meanwhile, Daredevil is overwhelmed, the Blue Man group managing to remove the headphones protecting him from the viral tune. He leads the charge into the isolation booth to transform the technician. The sound engineer manages to send another signal out into the city just in time. This time, Giant Claw isn't able to withstand the assault and is dispersed, screaming out the iconic villain exclamation, NINLIARG! That's with five N's and two A's. The corrupted New Yorkers return to their previous selves, and Daredevil is planning on tracking down the guy who originally played the song at Pier 5 so he can answer for his part in everything. But first, Maya has a question for him. The song, the one I played, that got rid of Claw and turned everything back to normal, what did it sound like? Honestly, best damn song I ever heard. Okay, so hope that's clear. Echo was killed by Count Nefaria, but then shows up later at a rock concert in Hell's Kitchen. Clean storytelling. Seriously, though, what the fuck? I I tried to research whether this return to life is ever explained, and uh, the the closest thing I got was a Twitter exchange between the writer and a fan. Seraph of Fire asks, Hey, at Charles Sewell, out of curiosity, what brought Echo back to life again? Sewell answers, I asked her, but she got really quiet. I decided not to press it and just be happy she's back.
And you know what? I'm not even mad because I'm happy she came back too. In terms of representation, she's a great character to have around and a really neat character on her own terms as well. We know she's definitely back too. This isn't some kind of flashback story or anything because Maya starts showing up in stories again after this. Probably most notably, she's featured in an Avengers story called Enter the Phoenix, where the cosmic firebird Phoenix selects a bunch of superheroes and villains to fight against each other in order to determine who will be its next host. Echo wins that distinction, not because she defeats the other combatants, but because she proves herself in terms of character, emotional temper, and will. So yeah, she's uh, the, the Phoenix now, if you know anything about all that. I'm pretty sure she still is as I'm recording this. In terms of an Echo-focused story, this has to be the best of the three. The threat is something uniquely catered to her abilities, and she's able to save both the book's protagonist and the whole city. Vanessa R. Del Rey's art here is also very cool. It's definitely different than a lot of art I'm used to encountering in comics, but I think it suits the story perfectly. The way she draws the claws, they look like sound, if such a thing is possible, and she gives a visual weight and look to the music itself being propagated, so it looks threatening and eerie. I wonder who's the Prince fan between her and Soul that decided that would be the music that would muffle out the evil music. Maybe both. Alright, and that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. Thanks for listening. If you like this, you can give the show a 5 out of 5 star review wherever applicable. You can do that on Spotify now, by the way. They just added the feature. Just go to the show's page by clicking on the show name underneath the episode title once or twice, and you should see the option at the top under the description. If anyone you know might enjoy a transcript of the episode, I write out everything before I record, so you can email me at drcomicbookie at gmail.com if you're interested. Also, email me there for anything else. Well, not anything else, but non-solicitory questions, comments, or suggestions totally. Look for DR Comic Bookie and Not a Hoax, Not a Dream other places, and you might find our social media too. Next up to bat is Spider-Woman, and then Thor, which will feature my friend Joe, who I have on good authority as a Viking king. The authority is him, but he's a king, so pretty good authority, I think. Until then, see you later.